0: Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a sideline sleuth. Today, we're gonna talk about the 2010 unsolved murder of Officer Victor Decker in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Victor was a 25-year-old decorated officer with the Norfolk Police Department at the time of his death. About a year and a half before he was killed, he received a medal from the Governor of Virginia and was named Norfolk's Officer of the Year because of his bravery and courage when responding to an incident in 2009. On March 19, 2009, Victor overheard gunshots while performing his normal duties of patrolling the downtown Norfolk area on bicycle. A pair of teens had shot and attempted to rob Brian Carter. A man who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, but Victor was close by and called for backup before he caught up with the duo, 19-year-old Marlon Sanders and 18-year-old Brighton Alderman, about a block away from where the shooting took place. Marlon fired six shots at Victor, who returned fire, killing Marlon before his accomplice Brighton surrendered. But this episode isn't about that shooting. It's about the events that took place that prevented Victor from acting as the key witness in the trial for that shooting because he himself was shot and killed outside of a Virginia nightclub on October 26th, 2010. On October 23rd, just a few days before he was killed, Victor took his wife Dawn and his young daughter Charlotte to the airport. They were flying to Georgia to see Dawn's family and wouldn't be back until Friday. On Monday, October 25th, some friends invited him to the Atlantis Gentlemen's Club, not far from the local Navy base, where dancers were participating in a breast cancer fundraiser.
1: Mm, that's kind of gross, but it's for a good cause. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> some professional strippers danced and some amateurs, all competing for a cash prize. According to the bouncer working that night, the dancers bring people with them for support. And sometimes those crowds end up being a worse group of individuals than the ones who frequent the place normally. Victor texted his wife to ask her if she was cool with him going. She told him to go have fun, but to behave. So, just a random little factoid, I actually lived pretty close to this place when I was a kid. Cool. So, from like really early 1988 until sometime in 1994, my family lived in Virginia Beach because my dad was in the Navy, and our house was like six and a half to maybe eight and a half miles away from Atlantis, depending on which route you take. Oh, but you were a little baby maker. Yeah, Megan. yeah. So, um, so, I know this because very far of from Google Maps. Clubs. <laughs> Not because I was going to a strip club. Okay. I actually <laughs> mentioned this to my sister, and she said she had no idea that we lived that close to a strip club, so. Before heading to Atlantis, he stopped at another bar called Central 111. It's about three or four miles from Atlantis, right off of Interstate 264. He got there around 10 p.m. and only stayed for like 30 minutes before heading to Atlantis, arriving there around 10.30. No guns were allowed in the club, and the bouncer, a guy named Matt Waters, said that Victor seemed uneasy, like he felt weird walking around without his weapon. Matt knew Victor from his downtown patrolling duties and had even heard rumors at one point that someone was sending him death threats, but that's something no one else claims to have any knowledge of. Victor actually did have a weapon on him, but he had to leave it in his truck that night before he entered the club. So Victor goes to Atlantis and then he leaves for a little while to give someone else a ride and when he gets back, the parking lot is full. So he had to park on the shoulder of Oceana Boulevard, which is where the club is located. And that's where he left his old 1995 Ford F-150, and where it still sat the following morning at 7 a.m. when a passing motorist noticed it. That person stopped, thinking that maybe the Ford's driver was having some car trouble, and that's where he found the body of Officer Decker laying face down in the mud and gravel about 10 feet in front of his truck, just inside the gate of a borrow pit. So if you're like me and you're not familiar with what a borrow pit is, and I I actually had to look up if that's how you say it. It's spelled borrow, but it still seemed weird. So the dictionary says it's an excavated area where material such as soil, gravel, or sand has been dug for use to fill at another location. Like they're just moving the dirt or whatever to some other spot.
1: Oh, they're borrowing the dirt. Yeah, that's what
0: makes sense. So it's also called a sandbox and they can be found near many construction projects. So about 100 yards away from Atlantis is where Victor parked his truck that night and just to the right of this city borrow pit and close to the back entrance of the nearby naval base and just inside of that borrow pits gate is where his body was found the following morning surrounded by blood and rainwater. So Victor was well known and well liked. He spent most of the evening talking to people at the bar He gave a shoulder massage to one of the professional dancers, but he stayed out of the way. He didn't appear in any of the pictures taken for the fundraiser that night by the club's photographer. Around 2 a.m., he walked some of the dancers to their vehicles because it was dark and late, and he was just that kind of guy. He made plans to meet up with his friend Bobby at 2.30 to grab something to eat, leaving the club just before 2 a.m. At this point, few cars remained in the area, and he walked alone to his truck 100 yards away. He never made it to Bobby. When Virginia Beach police arrived on the scene, so this is not the department that Victor worked for, he worked for Norfolk PD. VBPD turned the body over to discover a single bullet wound to the skull above his left eye near his hairline, angled downward, making it obvious that it was not a suicide. Later testing backed up that his hands contained no gunshot residue. His wallet was missing as well as the handgun he left inside of his truck, but not his wedding ring, cell phone, keys, or the truck. Those weren't taken. His police badge wasn't taken either. It was hanging under his T-shirt when he was found, making investigators wonder if his killers even knew that Victor was a police officer. Mm -hmm. A few hours later, his wife Dawn would get the call that her husband had been murdered. Two days after the shooting, Victor's wallet was found on the right hand shoulder of the westbound on ramp of I two sixty four, like it had been thrown from a window. Nothing appeared to be missing. Are you joking? No, oh, so then like what's Super the motive? Weird. Yeah. Wasn't
1: it you just take the wallet to make it look like you maybe were robbing? Yeah. Him?
0: But everything the phone, the keys, the wedding ring, all of that was still there. The wall but the gun is the gun was taken, so Okay. Um, I read the autopsy and the ballistics forensic report. But I think that sounds redundant because it should just be a ballistics report. Ballistic implies that forensics were done. Mm-hmm. So either way, I saw the report about the bullet and the body. The gun used to kill Victor was not the same gun that was missing from his truck. There was bruising around the wound and burn marks indicating that the gun was pressed against his skin when it was fired. And considering the angle, Victor was likely on his knees at the time he was killed, his death looked like a professional kill, like an execution, implying that this wasn't done by some amateur criminals. At first glance, it didn't look like a simple street crime. This suspicion was reinforced when a nine millimeter casing was found in his shirt sleeve by the coroner. It had passed through Victor's head out of his neck and grazed his shoulder. But the odd part was that there weren't any prints on the bullet. So this kind of weapon is semi-automatic and the bullets are fired from a clip but that clip is loaded by hand which means somebody touched every single bullet as they put them into the gun but whoever did this had the forethought to wipe them clean before doing so which does not seem like or wear gloves or wear gloves but either way, they had the thought to do this before they like as they were loading the gun like professional yeah like i should wear i should wear gloves or i should wipe these off you know So Victor didn't have any other injuries. There were some marks on his face, but that was from where his body fell to the ground after being shot. His clothing wasn't torn and there wasn't any DNA under his fingernails. Ultimately, there were no signs of a struggle. This confused many people because as a young fit cop, it wasn't likely that he would just surrender to his death. An expert working on the case said, quote, there's no cop anywhere in the world that lets someone just put a gun to their head." End quote. Still, Virginia Beach ended up concluding that this wasn't personal. It was just a simple robbery gone wrong. And that just seems not true to me.
1: Uh, I don't see the robbery. If they found the wallet with nothing taken yeah. from it and he left, like, Blatant yeah. things he could just steal and get money for.
0: So, weird thing y'all don't know about me. Well, maybe you do. I might have said it. So, I previously dated a felon, and one of the things he did before I met him was he robbed a gas station. And he's not smart. <laughs> like, like, eh? Gas stations aren't the best robberies. <laughs> yeah. So, but, so I just think a simple robbery, that's something that this idiot would have done. And there's no way he would have been smart enough to like think about wiping the bullets off or wearing gloves. And he's definitely not. Calm and collected enough to execute a police officer, execute anybody really to get them on their knees. Yeah, like it just it just doesn't seem like some like thug street criminals did this. But yeah, somebody who I, I mean I don't know.
1: He went back to his car where his gun was. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody would have had to. Catch him unaware or
0: know yeah. that his gun was there like it had to be someone they said that his fly was down thinking maybe that he was trying to pee and his bladder was full so uh, they caught him in that situation but even then he is like able to defend himself he's yeah. he's a decorated officer yeah so that just seems bizarre looking at this picture he looks like a kind of fit dude he was, yeah he was, he, was, dude. he was short but he was like he was fit he was ripped. So, yeah the entrance to the borrow pit as well as the grassy shoulder of Oceana Boulevard were thoroughly searched and investigators picked up anything they thought might be useful. Dozens of club attendees were interviewed. In total, detectives said they interviewed over 200 people. Police were hoping that someone saw something and was a potential witness to the crime, but no one witnessed anything that occurred outside of Atlantis that night. Police obtained warrants to get data from nearby cell phone towers and surveillance footage from a camera for that back entrance to the Naval Base. It's a silent black, white, and gray record of Victor's last moments alive. That footage was sent to an FBI lab, but even with the best enhancement technology available, it didn't give them much to work with. The video remains dark and grainy, with little for anyone to see. Once zoomed in, what you can see are some lights. And I only know this from narration on this video, because otherwise I would have been like, what am I looking at? They're mainly the reflectors on the gate of the borrow pit, but analysts think you can also see the dome light and passenger door light to Victor's truck go off and on. You can see passing motorists and people passing the area on foot, but you can't see what those vehicles are or any identifying characteristics of those people. You can just see lights on the car as they're passing by and silhouettes of people walking that temporarily block the light from the reflectors on the footage because they walk in front of them. The last time you see the inside lights in Victor's truck is at 1.56 a.m. At 2.02 a.m., you briefly see a flash of light. Experts believe that flash is the gunshot that killed Victor. Seven seconds after the flash, a car pulls away from the borrow pit, detectable only by the presence of the vehicle's taillights and headlights. The FBI thinks that that was the suspect leaving the scene, but no one knows except the killer or killers what happened in those six minutes between? Gosh, it was a really quick kill. In 2012, police finally had suspects. Two local men, Raymond Perry and Kareem Turner. Raymond had been charged in the summer of 2012 as the trigger man, and Kareem wasn't tied to the shooting until December of 2012, more than two years after Victor was killed. Detectives on the case believed the two were together on the night of October twenty fifth, 2010, and they were pressuring Kareem to turn on Raymond. However, they never produced any evidence that the pair even knew each other, and it wasn't clear initially what, if any, evidence the police had on them at all. Both were denying any involvement. Kareem insisted that he was innocent, a stance he continued to maintain throughout the entire ordeal. He said, quote, I never seen that guy in my life, like ever, end quote. And honestly, I don't know if he was referring to Raymond or to Victor, or to both. Despite there being no known connection, the pair had some things in common. They were both black males in their early 20s, grew up in some more questionable parts of the city, and both had at least some prior run-ins with the law. At the time Raymond was charged with Victor's murder, he was already in prison for shooting a gas station clerk about two weeks after Victor was shot. The clerk ended up surviving, but Raymond was given 90-something years in prison for that shooting. I think it was actually in 97 and that wasn't his first offense either. His juvenile record alone showed 14 convictions from things like assault, robbery, and carjacking. His first conviction dating all the way back to when he was just 10 years old. But Kareem was a different story. He was a 24-year-old father of two little girls. He didn't graduate high school, but he was working two jobs, one at a demolition company and another as a club promoter at the time of his arrest. He wasn't a career criminal. At most, he had maybe spent a few months in jail at some point because he had minor things on his record like a low-level drug deal or shoplifting, but nothing as extreme or as violent as Raymond Perry. Both Kareem and Raymond maintained their innocence, and some local defense attorneys quickly agreed. Though agreeing that the men weren't necessarily model citizens, there was no physical evidence linking them to Victor's murder. Nonetheless, both men were charged with the crime. But Raymond, as the trigger man, was facing the death penalty. So the two guys, like, they have nothing that links them as even acquaintances. There's yeah. no, like, phone records. There's no social media history. So Kareem and Raymond are like, we don't even know each other. So we definitely didn't murder this guy together. Yeah.
1: I would be curious to know, like, where Kareem was the night. Because yeah. he had two jobs. Yeah, like, and two where kids. Where was he? So. What's his alibi? Because yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah
0: in virginia lie detectors aren't permissible in court without a judge's approval but raymond's defense attorney wanted him to take one anyway she hired barry culvert who was once a top polygraph examiner for the fbi he worked on high profile cases like chandra levy from 2001 so if you're not familiar with that case she was an intern for a congressman and he was initially suspected though ultimately cleared as responsible for what happened to her so in july of 2013 culvert administered the polygraph test lasting an hour and a half to raymond in the virginia beach jail and he passed with flying colors he is quoted as saying cleanest box i have given in 30 years no way your guy was involved in this the prosecution analyzed the results and had no issues with it but raymond's defense team even offered to have him undergo another test one administered by a person chosen by the police and the prosecution. But that never happened and it wouldn't matter anyway because the judge said they weren't going to allow the results to be admissible in court. So I looked at Barry Colvert's resume and Raymond's polygraph results, which I love the internet. That's pretty cool. But So first of all, Barry's email address at the time was the lie guy at AOL.com. What a like, cool kid. I, yeah, I like him. So, AOL addresses. Yeah, yeah, that shows you how old this is. So he was a special agent in the FBI for 35 years and 17 of which he was their primary polygraph examiner and interrogator. So like the FBI's go-to guy. Mm. Um, the results have three categories deception, no deception, and inconclusive. Barry marked no deception for Raymond's test about Victor's murder. And I also learned something about polygraphs um, from all this. So remember in Ben McDaniel's case, we talked about Eduardo was only asked three questions Mm -hmm. and each question only one time or something. And Ben's family thought that this wasn't good enough. Like it wasn't the full one. So, and in Julia's case, we talked about how Kristen was only asked three questions too. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently three questions is pretty normal, but it's the amount of times you're asked them and like the number of ways and the ways your answers are analyzed that really makes the difference. So okay. I think Kristen was asked her three questions twice, but I'm not a hundred percent, but Eduardo was just asked those three questions at one time one and then it was time. like over. And that's why they said it wasn't They should have called in the yeah. lie guy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this test was three questions, but but asked multiple times over an hour and a half. So yeah, yeah. so I think that Barry knows what he's doing. So if I was wrong, if I like accused Kristen of something, my bad, Kristen, but it's, it wasn't necessarily like totally whack. So (laughs) Raymond was asked these three questions. One, did you shoot a man in the vicinity of the Atlantis nightclub in Virginia Beach, Virginia in October of 2010? Two, in October of 2010, did you shoot a man in the vicinity of the Atlantis nightclub in Virginia Beach, Virginia? And three, were you present when that man was shot in the vicinity of the Atlantis nightclub in October of 2010? Raymond answered no to all three and Barry Colvert found his answers to be truthful. The prosecution, however, was still going to proceed with the cases against Raymond and Kareem. So I'll just go ahead and give you a bit of a spoiler. Not only were Kareem and Raymond Perry never convicted of the murder of Victor Decker, they were never even tried. The prosecution's case fell apart, mainly because it was entirely based on witness testimony from other convicted felons. The man they were planning on using to connect Raymond and Kareem to each other and to the murders was a man already serving time named Lamont Davenport. He was in federal custody at the time of his hearing testimony, and he had 10 prior felony convictions, but what he was serving for at that moment was conspiracy to distribute five kilograms or more of cocaine. The hearing took place on March 14, 2013, and Kareem's trial was set to begin on March 17, 2014. So his defense had a very small window of time to illustrate the flaws in Lamont's story. The transcript from his testimony is available online, and it's a 46-page document, so it's a lot to read, but basically he was putting himself at Atlantis when Victor was shot and saying he witnessed the crime. He was there to commit some other type of crime and said he watched those two men walk past his car towards the truck. Some time passes, he hears a gunshot, and then the pair leaves walking by his truck again or his vehicle again. He said he knew Raymond Perry and identifies him first and then later is able to identify Kareem Turner too. But Lamont didn't actually know either of the men and couldn't pick them out in a crowd if he had to. In a recorded phone call from jail, he had the following conversation with his sister. Lamont said, hell yeah, we're going to have that visit. I'm just saying, have that picture ready, he tells his sister, referring to a photo of Raymond. He's brown skinned with a low cut, his sister says. Someone else chimes in, referencing a celebrity that Raymond kind of resembles. And Lamont responds with, okay, I need to know that. And then that person again, it was a woman said, yeah, he favors him a little bit. So. That wasn't the only conversation he had about what Raymond looked like, so that he could make sure to identify him correctly in court. When the defense got a hold of this information, the prosecutor's case was non existent. They had hoped to find new evidence and bring charges against the pair again, but it is doubtful that that will ever happen because they honestly don't have anything credible. The charges against Raymond and Kareem were dropped, and Kareem ended up walking free but Raymond was still facing the rest of his life in federal prison for the conviction he was already incarcerated for. So with everything I've seen and all the research I've done, the documents I've gone through, I don't think Raymond and Kareem killed Victor Decker. But honestly, there are so many possibilities, so many potential reasons, all these different angles, that it could be anyone, literally anyone. What do you, what? (laughs) So police wondered who would have wanted to kill Victor and the theories were running rampant. Had he been murdered by someone seeking revenge for something he did professionally or personally? At Atlantis the night he was killed, people remembered two men approaching Victor, asking him if he had any cocaine. Apparently Victor just brushed it off and was unfazed by the encounter, but others weren't. With the question being posed, why would you walk up to some guy in a club and ask him if he's got any cocaine? Unless you had some reason to believe that he might actually have some cocaine. Yeah. Rumors began swirling that Victor was involved in some shady dealings, such as selling contraband without the items ever being documented and making it to evidence. People were saying that he was selling guns and drugs to the underbelly of the Virginia Beach area. Apparently there was even someone willing to testify that they had first-hand knowledge that Victor was selling drugs. His wife Dawn refused to believe these accusations, but there was something she couldn't deny. Her husband was not being faithful in their marriage. A series of text messages were uncovered on his phone that showed that he had more than one extramarital relationship.
1: Oh, poor you know.
0: Just a few hours after dropping his wife and daughter off at the airport on October 23rd, Victor started looking for a hookup. He sent the same quote, I need someone to come wear me out so I can sleep end quote message to 13 different women <gasps> some recipients of that message ignored him some politely declined and some others responded in ways that made it clear that if they hooked up that day it wouldn't have been the pair's first sexual encounter oh,
1: 13 that is just like a just casting a wide yeah. net like at least he didn't and make a good and then he went chat, to right. a
0: strip club mm-hmm. and he's married and he has like a baby baby like i think charlotte was under a year old or something like oh. Four Dawn. That's not
1: the way to find out. Yeah. I guess no. there's no good way to find out. There's not.
0: Actually, I think it's kind of, I'll tell you maybe after oh. this, why I think it's good, I guess, that she knows now. So, okay, okay. Um, on Monday, October 25th, which is the day he went to the Atlantis Gentleman's Club, his texts indicate that a woman, a married Norfolk police dispatcher, met up with Victor at his house for sex. At 12.41 p.m., he invites the woman over. At one seventeen. She says, I'm just trying to decide if my hormones are going to win over my right and wrong button. Victor sends her his home address, directions on how to get there, and where to park. Later, the two exchange more messages about how much fun they had that afternoon. So in his, like, home, he shares with his family.
1: They were gone for, like, 20 minutes, Megan. It was
0: real quick. But even, like, I don't care how long they're gone, in your, if you're going to disrespect your wife like that.
1: Do it in a motel.
0: So, or in your truck or, I don't know, somewhere that's, like, worthy of that weird little sex capade Don't bring them into your family home. Um, so, despite all of that, a local defense attorney said, quote, I saw virtually no evidence that they explored the thought of somebody involved in any of these text messages, or the husband or brother or boyfriend of any of the people in the text messages being involved. I saw no evidence of that at all. End quote, which seems odd because I think a husband or a boyfriend finding out that his girl is banging someone else sure seems like a motive for a rage killing. Oh my God! If I saw that text message on my yeah. wife's
1: phone, I'd be yeah, like, yeah. "Here we go."
0: But the attorney said that avenue of possibility wasn't even explored, and that police dispatcher was just one of the 13 women who received that wear me out message. So the possibilities were numerous. Wow, so wow. there's 13 women. Who got that one message, there's... Yeah, they got that one message, but who's to
1: say how yeah. many women he had on the side, yeah. how many women he was doing sketchy things yeah. with, and how many upset partners or yeah.
0: significant so, others
1: were involved, wow.
0: Yeah. So, granted his death did not seem like much of a rage killing, it seemed way too calm and methodical, at least in my opinion. So, was it random? Was Victor Decker, just like Brian Carter, the man who was robbed and murdered that Victor responded to, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. His wallet and gun had been taken, and that strip club was known to attract some unsavory individuals and therefore criminal activity. One jailhouse informant once testified that he basically was stalking a known drug dealer in the area, waited for him outside of that same club with plans to follow him home and break into his house later. Five months after Decker's murder, Virginia Beach's SWAT team raided that club on the suspicion that there was some type of drug distribution going on inside of it. And since then, military personnel have been given orders to stay clear of that establishment, which has since been renamed. A local attorney, Tom Shepard, said that he doubted that any of the robbers looking for a target outside of that club would have selected Victor from all of the other possible targets. So Dennis Stevens, he's a criminologist, he agreed that Victor wasn't who most robbers would have selected because they would have wanted someone more vulnerable, they prefer easier targets. He said, quote, they're reading your body language, looking for someone who seems less able to fight back, end quote. And you know, Victor was young, fit. He looked like he was physically capable of defending himself. He was only 5'5", but he looked like he could hold his own in a fight. And plus he was driving this really old truck, a 1995 F-150, and this was in 2010. So that truck was not a prize. And with as much criminal activity allegedly happening in and around Atlantis, Surely there was someone driving a better car who would have looked like they had more money or more assets worth taking than Victor did, and only his wallet and gun were missing, and they didn't even take anything from the wallet. So was robbery really the motive when, I don't want to say he was like barely robbed because that sounds like it's not a big deal and that's not true, all robberies are significant, but it just didn't seem like they got away with much when they would have like stood to benefit so much more if they had just picked another target, yeah. you know? So. I just had a thought, like, I mean,
1: people were asking him for cocaine, maybe he had some other stuff.
0: Yeah, on. Maybe that. so maybe they were robbing him for drugs and we just don't know he had drugs, we don't know it was missing. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, Jasmine. So could his death have been connected to the shooting he was involved in in 2009, the one with Marlon Sanders and Brighton Alderman? Investigators said they explored that angle. Brighton was scheduled to go to trial on December 13th on the charge of first-degree murder and other related felonies in the death of the man he and Marlon Sanders were accused of robbing and shooting. Victor was a key witness since he was shot at by Marlon before he fired back and killed him. Could his death have been related to this one? Was someone trying to silence his testimony? No one knows for sure, but there's no evidence that whoever killed Victor even knew he was a cop. His badge remained under his t-shirt. He was off-duty, in plain clothes and his department-issued weapon was at his house. But still, the execution style of his murder makes it seem more personal. The criminologist Dennis Stevens that I just mentioned a little bit ago, can't imagine that Victor Decker was being involved in the sale of drugs or other confiscated items, but he does think that whoever killed him had some sort of police or military training. He said, quote, it couldn't just be a typical military person. It would have to be somebody that's trained to deal with one-on-one situations. In an article by the Virginian pilot, entitled Will We Ever Know Who Killed Victor Decker, published in 2017, the writer said it's not easy to jump on a trained police officer, put him on his knees, and end his life up close, face to face, with a single precisely placed shot. A local community activist named Michael Muhammad went on to say that this isn't the work of men from the hood, where, quote, the most access they've likely had to gun training is via television or video games. That's an execution. They even make mockery of the way young black men who have no training shoot, cocked to the side. If you shoot like you shoot on TV, you're never gonna hit anybody but an innocent person standing to the side. That's, so uh, interesting to know. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't- I mean, I definitely see people like, kind of play, yeah. angling guns.
0: When you think about the way Victor was killed, plus the fact that there were no prints left on the only evidence they have, that nine millimeter shell casing, it certainly seems more professional more targeted and more planned than some simple random robbery. It's been suggested that some, like, hood guy or a local street criminal would have stolen Victor's badge as, like, a trophy. It would have made him somewhat of a legend for killing a cop and having his badge. So that's one of the reasons I didn't think Raymond Perry and Kareem Turner were responsible for the death of Victor Decker.
1: Oh, you mean besides the fact that they couldn't even connect them
0: to the crime at all whatsoever? Or each other. The murder seemed too professional to me the no fingerprints, the execution style, Victor seemed targeted and his killing seemed methodical. Raymond was a career criminal, but he didn't seem intelligent enough, thorough enough, calculated enough to pull this off, especially since two weeks after Victor was killed, Raymond shot that gas station clerk in a much more sloppy manner and ended up doing serious time for it. Kareem, well, he wasn't even really a criminal at all. After the charges were dropped and he was released from jail, he became somewhat of a local celebrity, at least in the area where he grew up. He was facing life and he beat it. Anyway, four months after Kareem walked free, he was arrested again. In the 4 o'clock hour, the morning of July 16, 2014, a man was lying dead in the street. He had been shot so many times that the coroner couldn't even count them all. But it is estimated that at least 19 hit him, but it could be as many as 30. A 35-year-old man named Dewan Glover was walking to his car after a party when three men tried to rob him. When Dewan tried to run away, all three of the robbers shot at him. Kareem was one of the three. This is
1: this is the level of like criminal activity yeah. that I feel like is not intelligent. Yeah. Like
0: he's running away. You're not, you didn't even do anything
1: yet. Yeah. Why would you all uh, go down for his yeah. murder and shoot that many times? Like, that yep. has to make, like, a cacophony of sound. Yep. And Doesn't that seem so different than how Victor was yeah, robbed? Yeah, which is calculated yeah. stealth. Mm-hmm. So Under six minutes, gone. Nobody yeah, saw a thing, right? Yeah.
0: Though he denied ever shooting Dewan or even at him, a witness said that he did fire his gun, and so Kareem found himself facing a murder charge again. Police found 40 casings at the scene, and they came from all three of the handguns that the robbers had. The other two men were sentenced to life in prison, and Kareem got 42 years. Investigators are convinced, despite having no evidence linking Kareem and Raymond to Victor's murder, or even linking the men to each other, that they are the people who killed Victor. Prosecutors told Dawn, Victor's widow, to basically try and find comfort in knowing that they are off the streets, even if her husband's death is not officially attributed to them. But she said that's not good enough. She wants the people who killed him to pay for the crime and this is not the kind of justice she wanted. While the murder of Dewan Glover is definitely tragic, his murder reaffirms my belief that Kareem and Raymond weren't involved in Victor's murder. Three men responsible for Dewan's murder fired 40 shots at him as he resisted being robbed. A confirmed 19 hit him. So this is less than 50% of the shots fired actually striking the victim. Victor's murder was so different. He didn't have any other wounds. There was no sign of a struggle. No reason to think he was resisting whatever was happening to him. He wasn't trying to run when he was killed like Dewan was. He was shot one time in the forehead, with the gun pressed right against his skin. Victor was face-to-face with his killer. The angle of the bullet paints a picture of an execution. He was on his knees. Victor was a trained cop. A physically fit, able-bodied young male with police training he would not have been executed by some street criminals with an ability to hit their intended target below 50%. He deserves more credit than that. I don't think he would have put his hands up and surrendered to a robber. There's just no way in my mind that that's how it went down, that that's how Victor lost his life. Currently, the death of Officer Victor Decker is neither solved nor unsolved. It is unresolved, according to law enforcement. A public information officer with the Virginia Beach Commonwealth's Attorney's Office said, We would not consider this an open case from our perspective. She went on to add that they continue to believe that Kareem and Raymond are the killers, but that they can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's why it hasn't gone in front of a jury. James Kaysen from the Virginia Beach Police Department said, Although there are no updates, the VBPD never considers an unresolved homicide case closed, However, our comment would be consistent with what you've heard from the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. A reporter who worked on covering the murder of Victor Decker when it first happened said, Whoever killed Victor Decker is still out there. And I hope, I hope that both the Virginia Beach Police Department and the Norfolk Police Department are still working on this case. It would be unfortunate. It would be sad. It would not be to the ends of justice if they have told Don Decker that these are the two guys. Can't prove it, but we know it. That's not justice. That's not resolution. That is not solving this case. Somebody got away with murder. I don't believe that Kareem Turner and Raymond Perry are responsible for the death of Victor Decker. I have no idea who killed him or why, because the possibilities are too numerous. But it seems that the investigation into who did murder Victor is at a permanent standstill, because investigators and prosecutors believe they already have the culprits. They aren't continuing to try to solve this because they feel that they have— and that the men are just serving time for something else. And that's not exactly justice. So unless someone who knows something comes forward, justice for Victor Decker and closure for his wife Dawn and their daughter Charlotte will never come. If you have any information regarding the 2010 murder of Officer Victor Decker, please contact the Virginia Beach Police Department at 757-385-4141.
1: Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at Facebook.com slash